Wish I was a mole in the ground. Yes, I wish I was a mole in the ground. As a mole in the ground, I'd root that mountain down, and I wish I was a mole in the ground. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to what apparently is our fifth episode of the Faced Out podcast. Um, once again, big five, five point um, Once again, you're talking to me, Brad, and me, Liz. Liz, uh, booksellers, Reese Bay booksellers in Oakland, California. We chat about bookselling. We don't really talk a lot about books. <laughs> We're, just, <laughs> We're sick of them yeah. at this point. Uh, it is straight up about bookselling and the business that we are in, that we presume you are probably in. We don't think anyone else in their right mind would at all be interested in this podcast, and possibly not even if you are <laughs> in this industry interested in this podcast, but we, we appreciate those who do listen. It's like a subsection of a subsection of a subsection. So how's everybody doing? How are you doing, Liz? Okay. It's a weird week, but it's all right. There's a lot of fires in California, which always is like a bizarre, just a weird vibe. And it's, an, it's early for the fires, too. There's, it's, not, it's not been prompted by, well, by the wind, winds and everything. The Bay Area, um, for those of you who don't know, which is probably everybody who doesn't know anything about me. That's why I live here. But my, I'm from San Diego. And so there's like a weird disconnect in my brain of like, this is really normal. But for the Bay Area, it's not that normal. Normally, the fire season really starts up here when there's offshore winds. Right. Um, and then that's like in the next two months or so. So people are a little jarred by this. Um, and I don't know if I'm like a disassociating cowboy or something, but I'm just like, oh, well, you know, that's the season. It's really fucking bad. Uh, <laughs> so that's, you know, that's like top of mind, but. You know, we're, we're, we're certainly not in any uh, immediate danger. No. You know, our lungs are to some extent. We keep the door closed. Ash is around here and there. This, the the uh, sky looks like something out of like a, Mad Max film or something like that. Thinking about the people down at like Bookshop Santa Cruz yeah. and yeah, and Watsonville. And, Absolutely. And that hope they're doing as well as they can do. Or up, yeah, or Napa as well. Oh, yeah, um, so, so it's uh, you know, it's just sort of crisis after crisis, um, and uh, you know, we have to keep one another in our thoughts and help one another out as we can and. Uh, um, I guess the first thing we can do is just be aware about it of it, and uh, and then figure out what we can do from there. But uh, book selling wise, uh, it's been pretty slow. Yeah, uh, you know, months. yeah, we were we kept thinking that slowness would happen, you know, in June or whatever. But then, of course, it didn't. Um, so now we're just sort of catching up on everything that we couldn't do before, which I think we talked about a, a little bit before. So, I don't know. What uh, what are we going to talk about this week, Liz? Well, there's a couple of things floating around on the discussion table. I think on my mind, personally, I've been thinking about what we can, new ways of showing customers what we're excited about. 
um, and then getting that to translate into money <laughs> um, is is something that I've been thinking about going forward with the store and it's it's not outside of what we used to do it's not like it's a new thing for us necessarily to like heavily curate but um, I don't know we're gonna have to start putting out a lot more information sort of right right underneath people's noses look at these six books look at this um, and then that kind of I don't know like when you think about book selling in those terms, really heavily curated, you really can just get a lot of crap out of there. I mean, we're doing major returns just because it's just time space-wise, but also we're envisioning a store that's going to look really different. There's not going to be foot traffic like we're used to. So a lot of the stuff that we might've normally kept around just in case someone might want to check out our business section or whatever. Now we're kind of like, well, maybe we can really pare yeah. this down. It's immediately you know, we, down. We've used the language of this situation being a reset, um, kind of forced upon us. And with the returns process, my hope is that we can maybe control, you know, what's getting rebooted. Yeah, totally. Um, and I was laughing to myself as I was going through the psychology and spirituality sections, and I felt like I was, I was a paying for all of the buying sins of old because they're the one. Those are like some of the sections where they're they're not a highly you know turned set. Neither of them are huge turns, and I'm largely guessing. I'm trying to figure out like what. It's not your specific. Yeah, we're, we're not selling it like in the sense that we're going to stack these up. We have a copy of this or that. We we think maybe people will want this particular self-help book with, with the word fuck in it. Um, uh, or then like we used to have all kinds of Buddhists who would buy stuff from the store. So then we ended up having like five shelves worth of, 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 really, of really like, like in-depth, um, uh, you know, scholarly, yeah, scholarly yeah. Tibetan Buddhist treaties, which was not all from the former regime. That was like from me buying as well. And so what was the mentality, right? Of yeah. Like we're going to, we still have this customer base and they still expect these titles. Right. We would buy for the one person who would, who would buy that. Yeah. And that's not going to happen for the, gonna, gonna, for, for the foreseeable future. Order yeah. For that one yeah, exactly. It's, it is really as, as greatly changed how uh, we're buying for the store and thus how we are returning for the store as well. And we buy specifically, I mean, like it's a we have a very we don't carry a lot of things like we really carry a lot of stuff that we feel strongly about or excited about and we get it. really angry when we have to carry something <laughs> that we true. don't want to. Too, yeah. <laughs> it's like why are you forcing another goddamn trump book on us people oh stop asking for it and then if you do ask for it pick it up i don't want to be stuck with this thing <laughs> And now, like, everybody's moved on. It's like the, the turnover, the attention span for these Trump books is so um, short. So there's, like, a lot of media buildup and then weeks and weeks and we can't get any copies and nobody gives a shit anymore. But going forward, we don't need to fill out these sections with, with stuff. You know, we can, we can, like, really, 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 really pare it down. Like, this, this is a book we actually want out of. 50 books on a shelf, we're going to stick with you know, 
15. Yeah. Um, because either we care about them or we have proof that someone wants them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because really, if you don't have the, the representative copy, that's not as big a crisis as if you under-ordered what you knew was going to be right. a thing. So, like, instead of getting the 15 copies of cast that you should have gotten, you got five, and then, oops, <laughs> I'm, you're out before the book is even out. So, it's, it is an unfortunate thing in the sense that you're relying so much in that sort of way of selling on media, which mm -hmm. runs very counter to how I want to to run the business yeah. uh, and be a bookseller, because we do like to feel like that we are involved in the process of, of uh, informing people about these books rather than just stocking them, happen, happening to have them. Yeah, we were talking about the possibility of kind of expanding what the staff recs are at our store and making them, bridging them out into not just this is a book I read and this is what it's like and this is why I liked it, but also this is a beautiful book on gardening that your mom would love if she's a gardener, but she has all the know-how in the world. Get her this one. It's got beautiful pictures of plants or whatever. And these are seven kinds of journals that I like and just like really take it, you know, from a physical space on a shelf, the customer would just like scan over to being a virtual thing that covers whatever categories you want it to cover. And in doing that, it just kind of makes you think about the fact that in a normal year, we really just, we sort of wait, uh, we're, we're a little bit beholden to these like marketing budgets. It's like, okay, like maybe we don't want to order this book, but the book is going to get huge. It's going to get reviews. It's going to get a lot of ads. Mm -hmm. We're going to be annoyed at, <laughs> at ourselves if we don't get it. Right. And now, I don't know, now it's kind of feeling like maybe there's a little bit of a shift. And maybe, obviously, those books are still going to happen. That's important. But we have to drive sales in a totally different way, especially coming out for the holidays. We have, it's, a, it's a good opportunity, though, because we can be like, this is the good shit that we actually like. Yeah, that's, that's the hope. It's just how, how to actually uh, communicate that. You know, we, um, we're still behind closed doors for those who don't know. We, uh, we are allowing people to, you know, pick up books and things like that. And we've kicked around the idea of some uh, sh uh, ship shipping, shopping by appointment, but we haven't yet done that. Um, so a lot of it is just trying to figure out how to be a bookseller um, from further than arm's distance. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a lot of it's going to be technology. A lot of it's going to be, you know, uh, not just embracing technology, but just the availability of it, the fairly affordable availability of it. Uh, that uh, and, and so we've recently, finally, at long last, got all of our stationery out on a separate website because Ooh. I just was not going to bother with the indie commerce. Oh, you don't want to website. make an ISBN for pens, <laughs> every pen? Um, no, no, I really don't. Or yeah, you know, for every greeting card and so on and so forth. And, you know, you did, we're going to take a bit of a hit, uh, maybe if, uh, you know, depending on how sales go, it's, you know, the, the processing fee for another uh, site is, you know, it, it's a little bit more, but also there's just add on costs for having another website and all this stuff. 
but we feel like it's just something we have to do if we're otherwise we're just going to be sitting on you know forty thousand dollars worth of hand-picked like highly curated (laughs) stationery but we took a lot of time to that's the thing like so obviously last episode emma liz and i we talked a bit about bookshop and you know and and emma and i in particular you know we we come off as as vehemently anti-amazon or anti-bookshop and maybe emma uh, without qualification is but i'm not really i actually think i like what i really like about what bookshop has done and and this idea of book lists that you can, you know, you can create a themed list. It's basically, it's the, it's the virtual equivalent of creative displays that you might have in your store. And we can do that on our websites. And I don't know why it doesn't happen as often <laughs> as what it does. Um, yeah, probably a lot of reasons. Well, I think we largely just, the, the technology is, is pretty poor. It's, it, it, takes the, it takes time and effort that we probably previously just thought, like, under no circumstance will that be worth it. You know, like, it might be yeah. fun. We might like the outcome. But now it feels like everything's worth it to try. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, a little bit later, coming up, we'll be talking with uh, Angela Maria Spring from Dewinda District uh, Bookstores in uh, Albuquerque and uh, DC. And while currently her pop-up shops are not functioning, the whole model of her uh, venture is to have um, you know, these little autonomous pop-up shops in a variety of different places and, and highly curated, uh, all um, uh, books written by people of color. So, um, and I'm intrigued by the model. It's certainly not something that I will we're not going to go from being a brick and mortar bookstore to a pop-up, but there are things that we can learn um, about that, which again, as we've talked about in the last few episodes, we're very intrigued by the pursuit of what we can get from alternative spaces. Um, As a consumer, it's really hard for me to think about buying books like a normal person because I have been selling books for a long time. So my brain is like, I don't think I see it the same way as someone who doesn't, but if I were to walk into a boutique that I liked, or for instance, a wine bar, a former partnership that Duende District Books had in DC that I'm, you know, a fan of, and I go in there and I see a shelf of like really cool looking books, um, that even if I'm not interested immediately in buying anything, like perhaps I'm there shopping for something else. I'm there to get wine with a friend. I'm not looking at books. The presence of them makes me feel like there's more to the space than I had previously realized. And that's kind of a fun depth. Um, And also just doing, being um, a bookseller in little kind of strange quirky spaces. Like I remember one event we did, we just set up a selection of things that we thought were cool at a brewery that we like. And people, they were doing like a trivia game night. So there was a lot of people. No, they were doing the, the short story oh, writing shit, that's right. The short yeah, story writing contest. contest yeah. And it was fun. And there was like, you know, reason for people to be gathered at the bar other than just drinking. And so that sort of lent itself to a couple of sales. It's not a huge moneymaker, but at the end of the day, the thing that was really 
fun is like the people who are like, oh, it's so cool that you're here. Right. I'm so, it's so fun to like look at books in a different space. So just kind of opening up the bookstore experience to people and making it um, feel, I don't know, like kind of loose and a little more modern. Because mm-hmm. like the bookstore space is, is a very, I don't know, uh, storied is like kind of a borderline yeah. stupid pun, but like it's, it's a very, uh, specific kind of space people have certain expectations of it yeah yeah i've been thinking about how to translate that into sort of the new world of of socially distant book selling you know no one's going to breweries or wineries or anything like that certainly not out here and one of the ideas that i had and and was again sort of changing up as liz was talking about changing up what we mean by staff recommendations and rather than just having like a few things that a bookseller has read and liked actually create a virtual space for them to create a sort of pop-up store within the store itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if they basically, if they had a spot at a brewery, this is what they might carry. Uh, and it could be, you know, like some of the stationary stuff. It could be anything. And it could be something that they haven't necessarily read, but they right. th- they would stock in the same way that the stuff that I buy for the store, I haven't bought. I'm excited about that, but I have no interest in reading it. <laughs> and you know, you know what? This is, I mean, probably some people disagree with me. You don't have to read every book in order to recommend it. And you don't have to read every book in order to know who's going to like that book. So... Mm-hmm ultimately it's part of selling it's part of selling a lot of a lot of people are like i have to read the whole book before and you people probably have integrity and i guess i do not because i'm like eh, it's pretty good slap a oh. slap a wreck on this sell some copies absolutely the old capitalist tycoon over here <laughs> but i just feel like it's that it's that enormous commission that, that yes, we pay at each it is the money yeah it's, it's about the money <laughs> i i just i feel like um especially now and especially in the holidays it's just like people just want to be they just want to be kind of like told what's good and not in a we're all sheeple kind of way but like they're just tired and like a little bit like uh fucking i mean christmas is coming and we're just gonna be post-election like people just if we put things in front of them that we're excited about i think that that's gonna translate into sales We'd love to hear what some of your stores or you personally are kicking around in yeah. terms of, uh, you know, how you're going to do that. You know, I'm sure most of you, even if you are open, you don't want to have the same number of people in your store. How are you going to do it? How are you going to be a bookseller, um, you know, uh, from a distance? Um, you know, there's, there's no one or two or three right answer. Gosh, there's got to be at least 20 right answers or else we're all screwed. Um, and probably 20 wrong ones as well. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, they're all worth trying. And uh, who knows what the, what the, the, the reboot is going to, uh, to look like. Anyway, speaking of Angela, we're going we're gonna to talk with her here in a second. She's uh, coming in with us uh, this afternoon, uh, taking some time uh, you know, away from uh, her baby. That's what we do. We take time away. That's what we do on this podcast. <laughs> I, I said, I'm sorry, Angela. I know you want to be a mother. Let's talk <laughs> but, about but, but you need to step away yeah. for about 35 minutes and talk with us. Um, I was on a panel with Angela a couple years back. Um, we were just talking about uh, how it feels like 
two decades ago or something at this point, uh, the way time has, has uh, sort of changed for us both. Um, welcome to the Faced Out podcast, Angela. Thank you for having me. Appreciate being on. Yeah. It's always good to talk to booksellers, especially now. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, it's, it's, a very, it's a very lonely thing now, isn't it? It is. It's actually, uh, like for an, and I'm a weird extrovert, so it's like particularly lonely. Yeah, same. Like, yeah. I actually like talking to customers mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> I know, there's nothing better than that, like, really enthusiastic hand sale, right? Or when you just sit there talking about books you know, for 10 or 15 minutes with somebody who wandered in. And it just, it, it's hard not having that. It's stimulating in a way that a lot of the other um, aspects of book selling are not very stimulating. Mm-hmm. To take it out of the equation is sort of laying bare some of the other parts that we don't like as well, which is, you know, get through it, you know. But Absolutely. Absolutely. How did you get into book selling? So, I mean, how do any of us get I know we I, all I stumbled as backward into it <laughs> yeah. and then couldn't get out. <laughs> well, so, okay. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of a silly story. Um, so when I, you know, I've always been a poet and I remember in high school, I was like, I can't make any money at poetry. So I'll do journalism. And so that's what I was doing in college. Um, and I was like editor university paper and all of that jazz uh but then I was like but this is killing my soul and so I, I you know went back into poetry now I, I um I did a lot with the Albuquerque slam community and so I was like hosting and stuff like that and I also edited our creative writing magazine and I was like oh maybe I can do both but then uh once I finished up my term as editor I was like I need like a job and I don't want to keep working for this paper that's exhausting and soul sucking in many ways. Um, and so when I was done with that, I was like, I need a break. Um, and I had previously like uh, had a, a job working at Walden Books. My first book selling job was when I was 19. I worked at the Walden Books Mall, my local mall, and um, which was great because it was like a store I grew up in. And the manager was this really great guy, Dan, and he taught me just a lot of the basics. His whole thing was like, everybody should work at least one retail holiday season and he is absolutely correct because if everybody in the world worked one holiday retail season everybody would be so much nicer yeah. <laughs> right we all agree we're all on the same page uh, but like as working in a mall bookstore that's like a whole other level <laughs> of to be the end of like the mall bookstore yes era, right? yeah. yeah that was like yeah it was it was actually we had just gotten the barnes noble this was 2000 and this was 2000, you guys. Yeah, like right as, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, it was like the year 2000. Yeah. yeah, so, um, and and so after I, I had finished out my term, uh, I got a job at Barnes & Noble, which was the only Barnes & Noble that we had at the time, which was on the side of town that I had not super into. But, uh, so I worked there for a little over three years and finally, until I got to the point where I was like, there must be more to life than planograms. <laughs> um, and so I applied for page one 
which was one of the big local bookstores and it still is in Albuquerque. And I started working over there. It was really great because I, I was working with the kids buyer and I was her assistant buyer. She was like teaching me, she was, she was teaching me to take over, but then I ended up moving to New York with my husband. Um, and I got into grad school at Sarah Lawrence. Um, but I moved to New York and my first job there was at Books of Wonder. <laughs> Um, and I, then I got into grad school and that kind of changes things up. And then, um, my second year of grad school, I got my, the job at McNally Jackson, which was really wonderful. And that was actually when I started thinking, you know, I think I want to do this. Yeah. I think this is like, it, I met, um, when I was working at McNally, uh, I met my really good friend, Jessica Stockton Bagnuolo, and she was the very first person who ever referred to herself as a professional bookseller. And I remember that very vividly. Mm. And I remember being very struck by it. And, um, and I was like, huh, you know? And so I was helping her out with events and then eventually Sarah uh, promoted me to her children's buyer and that was really wonderful. And um, I, I really, that, that was like, I think my favorite bookstore job that I ever had. Um, and then, and then my husband, who's a political consultant, was like, all right, now we got to move to D.C. And I, was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, well, you make the money. <laughs> so, so we moved to D.C. And, and I started working at Politics and Pros when I was there off and on. And that's where, that's where you trained uh, Hannah, right? Hannah Depp. Oh, my God. Hannah. I know. Anytime I, like, the idea that I had anything to do with Hannah's training is just so crazy to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the technical sense, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she, she 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 sprang into the world of bookselling fully formed pretty much yeah she was like athena from zeus's head like yeah. uh, but because she's she's just she's a fourth day when she came from retail so she's like, she was managing um i think a a bath and body works at at one point and, and also just like doing other stuff and and so like, the, the thing about hannah is that she's so delightfully competent yeah and we all know from in, in one of the things I talk about in bookstores is that we are constantly like everybody who wants to work in a bookstore is ridiculously smart, but not necessarily competent. <laughs> like, and that that's the that's the nexus that you need, right? <laughs> it's just like I need you to be able to actually do this thing, right? I've asked yeah. you to do. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, intelligent idealism. <laughs> That yes. doesn't necessarily translate into actually doing it in a, a, a competent, but also just, you know, sus sustaining sort of way yeah. uh, or, or healthy way for that matter. Absolutely. We are all wildly overeducated. Yeah. To it, but, it, but nobody really like, uh, one of the things that Hannah and I worked together on for a long time and we, we have kind of, it's weird because we're both Virgos, but we have totally different like Virgo ways of like viewing the world. Um, but like one of our big things was like, how do you be a competent manager? You know, because we just didn't feel like in all of our experience working in, in especially book retail that, that we really were, we, we ourselves were competently managed, which is nothing to say like, you know, it's not that these people were like, they're bad people, but like they just, you know, I mean, if you're not competently managed, you're not happy. And if you don't have a happy staff, then there's no exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then everybody gets all super dramatic about everything because <laughs> we're us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that was like one of the, the things that we worked on when we were floor managers together 
Um, and, and I'm really glad that I'm just so proud of her to see her running, you know, starting and running two bookstores and I'm just like, God dang, you know, and I like, and when she won the, the innovation award for the bookselling, uh, the by POC bookselling award, I was just like, I are not in a, she, the leadership. She won the leadership one. I was like, I can't think of a better person. Oh yeah. To do that. You know, like to, to have got, gotten that. So it was just, it's amazing. Yeah. So, so yeah, technically, you know, Hannah came on and it was her first bookstore job and I was her supervisor. <laughs> yeah. But she like, and we were fast friends, you know, yeah. like super fast. I remember like, I mean, she, she was my wedding officiant. She, you know, she came out to New Mexico. She does not like to be landlocked. Mm-hmm. Hannah does not like to be landlocked, but she braved the desert and she came and she married me and my husband. And, and her ears amazing. must be burning right now. Well, yeah, she, she she knows she'll she'll like she'll be like oh angela's talking about me <laughs> <laughs> angela's talking about valuable me. experience though to get to collaborate with another person in your same field about not just how can we be good at what we're doing as individuals but how can we be good leaders and mm-hmm. um you know like stewards of the store and the staff that work there I don't know that those kind of conversations get a lot of air sometimes in bookstores and especially not between two, two women of color. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine that that <laughs> yeah. happens yeah. very often either. That's very Yeah, it was kind of an anomaly. You, uh, from politics and prose, uh, you, did you go from there to your, to the DeWinda district, pro, you know, pop-up project? I did. I did. Okay. So Hannah actually left to go work at Word Bookstores. Right. Um, and, and when she left, and it was like, she, I mean, she needed to go and spread her, like, they just weren't going to let her do what she needed to do at that store. Um, and, but it, when she left, it was just like, it was suddenly like the breath went out of the entire place. And I had to like really examine, and even though like, I mean, we were fighting about things, like, it was just like, It was not a good scene in a lot of ways because it was just an unhealthy environment for all of us um, for many different reasons. But a lot of it just has to do with a lot of what I talk about and what Hannah talks about just being, you know, a person of color in, in you know, white owned bookstores and um, especially in that particular neighborhood, which was an extremely affluent white neighborhood. Um, But it, and I was like, oh man. And so I ended up picking up on accident, a lot of the like threads of battles that Hannah had been fighting for. And I was like, what am I doing? And I went back to Puerto Rico, which is where um, my grandfather's from. And just, just to like go have a visit. And I suddenly remembered, you know, like when I'm there, I look like, I literally look like everybody else. (laughs) And like, and it, and it's just nice going somewhere where suddenly like everybody knows who you are you know, and, um, and I forgot like that, like, I I so rarely get that sense of belonging. And and I sort of came back to the store and I was like, I don't think I've ever felt like I belonged here for many, many reasons, you know, and, and that was really where that seed for Duende came from, where I was like, I want a store where we feel like we belong, you know, and I, and I didn't want like a regular normal store because I've never really wanted a regular normal store. Um, like a very interesting like hybrids and, and things like that. And so I kind of, 
yeah, I just kind of set out to make a store that fit me, but that would also fit all of the rest of us who just don't, who are just feel like, who love book selling and love books and love book culture, but don't feel safe or feel adrift in the places that exist uh, right now. Yeah, we've, Liz and I, uh, in the podcast, the past few episodes, we've been talking a lot about alternative visions of, of bookstores. In, in many respects, it feels like, well, the, the red flags have been there for a while, but now they're really unfurled uh, about some of the unsustainable and unhealthy and um, just uh, the dead ends of many aspects of traditional bookselling. And we, or certainly I, see a lot of hope for the example of these alternative spaces. A lot of us, you know, like I, we are a pretty traditional bookstore just in terms of like what we are. Um, but uh, um, I'm, I draw a lot of inspiration from from the spirit and the the idea behind the pop up idea. Certainly, as, as you've pursued it, as well as a few other art spaces and. Things like what uh, Tom Roberts and Emma Ramadan are doing with the bookstore bar, um, and are do you have a similar sense that the alternative way of doing book selling might be the way of doing book selling going forward? You know, that's a really smart question, Brad. Um, because I do, because and especially the pandemic has really squeezed us mm-hmm. in a way that has forced us to actually start having these conversations, which we should have really been having, uh, you know, back when Amazon was ascendant, um, you know, like why, why exactly? It's, it, it is very easy at the very beginning to blame Amazon for the reason that so many stores closed, but really a lot of it was just because they, you know, a lot of store owners either didn't have actual business plans. It was like kind of secondary, you know, career oh I want a bookstore and I have enough money to do this type of thing um or they just yeah you know they just weren't able to embrace what the world was becoming technologically um and and it always seems like we're having these conversations 10 years too late right and the pandemic is forcing us to really in the moment have the conversation that was 10 years too late but that we probably were going to keep putting off for another at least five years. <laughs> like, the reset forced upon us, which yes. you know, is will kill some stores, uh, but then others may be able to be reborn in different interesting ways. So. Yeah. And one of the things that the ABA that, you know, when we get our reports from um, the ABA president, Allison, she talked about like a lot of, st- there's, there are a lot of stores that are just going online only or pop-up model. Um, that have been traditional brick and mortar stores and and that's like yeah do what you've got to do and it's everybody trying to redo you know their models and try to figure out what works and what's not going to work and and then it um, amongst like yeah I particularly feel for you know places like New York DC like any of these places where you're being squeezed anyway um land you know in terms of real estate Right. and stuff like that and it's like how are you you know I think about like the the it's like you guys feel like get that impending crazy doom where it's like all of these evictions mm-hmm. that are hanging yeah. over our heads that haven't quite happened yet that we're you know in the Bay are area. Happen. We're, we're, we're right there 
Yeah. Yeah. You like, you guys know you're like in the thick of it. So it's, it's, um, it, yeah, you just see like, it's like hovering like a cloud, you know, and, and, and it's like, okay, that cloud hasn't descended just yet. What can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so it's a lot, it's a very come to Jesus for some, some stores and, but, but I think like, you know, it's really, it's forced us also, uh, you know, it's it's a little easier for me in that like I've never done a lot of events because I can't personally handle that, and I never have been able to. I was never like a really big event person. That's not where my training was. I mean, I could host events, <laughs> like uh, I could do that very easily. But in the terms of planning them, that's not really like my strength. But um, you know, in the virtual sphere, we really need to have conversations about what that means. Um, you know, how do you provide those spaces? For authors and, and how do you reimagine them and and you know obviously we've had a lot of really bad things happen we've had a lot of those racist zoom bombs you know and like you have to think about security and you know when you have an author of color black or brown author you know what does that mean and it's just like and and a lot of stores who are well-meaning are getting burned but you know it's just sort of what do you do? And then, and then there are others that just sort of like stumble into, yeah. like they just, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they just feel like it, it's going to be hard for some people who can't accept change because that's the only way we're going to be able to survive. <laughs> they are going to be the people kicking and screaming and really trying to deflect from the fact that their store is, has been moving along in a way that's unsustainable mm-hmm. or, maybe has a philosophy that the staff is really hates. <laughs> um, yeah. And we can't live and die on the publisher's margins. No. Like we've, the, the fact that like we've been talking about this, but nobody's really been saying anything new about it for years now is just sort of like, what do we, you know, what does it even really mean? What is that model? You know, <laughs> like, why? It's so unsustainable on every level, and yet we have no other option. It's hard. Or, I mean, oh, yeah. we're not talking about other options in like an institutional way. There's definitely other options. I mean, I think it was, you know, it's it's really coming to to an ahead, to a head now, as you know, we have we have successfully created this this vision and this reality of book selling as a profession. We've sold that to our staff to our full-time people we've we've uh, promised them avenues of growth and they in turn have had an expectation a very good realistic <laughs> expectation of wages that would somewhat accord with that would would accord with what an owner you know is receiving as well and in the past th- when those the margins were never particularly good but at least the wages were so depressed that you could maybe figure out a way. But now that the wages have to go up because we've been so good about selling this idea of the book selling um, profession, uh, it's gonna catch up, it has to catch up. And frankly, I think it's good that it does catch up because then you will have to creatively problem solve, reconfigure what your store is and what it does and how it goes about doing it. And why you're here in the industry for some people. absolutely yeah i completely agree yeah it's i think especially the why you're here is we your people really need to be examining that um and and i'm very i am you guys know me i'm very mission driven 
but I feel like every store can be mission driven. If you really like, even if I remember it, Brad, in our panel, I think we were talking, like somebody brought up, you know, uh, they had a, another bookstore opened up across the street from them. Yeah. And uh, it's like really distressed, which I get it. Like, you know, uh, but that actually offers you the opportunity, which is what I said to her, to really hone what you do and why you do it and and get that message and your branding right. And and it may turn out that you actually do something totally different, even though you, you know, maybe it's two children's bookstores, but maybe they're, you know, if you really know what you're actually doing, you know, uh, then you it can be incredibly different. And, and that, you know, in, in a lot of ways, that's really good. It, it, you think about it like in the larger sense, you know, Barnes Noble and Amazon forced bookstores to hone mm-hmm. their, their message in, in one way. But now it's like, we've got to take that like 10 steps further. We can't still just be in that mindset of like, oh, I'm a bookstore and I'm here for the community. Well, of course you're here for the community, but that community also needs to buy stuff, <laughs> you know, and they, they like, you need to know why they're coming to you and why they're buying stuff and like what the, that community is. And, and if you want to bring in more people, then you need to be able to articulate what it is that you do, like period. Because um, people, people buying behaviors are fascinating I don't know I've really been doing this for 20 years and just sort of watching people and um and and then now just the way that the way people purchase online mm. has been very interesting you're do, really have, yeah, yeah you're doing exclusively online stuff now right you, I'm, doing, the, I'm exclusively online. your pop-ups are open no so my my last pop-up in DC Dio they tried really hard to read do their business. They were a wine bar and they turned into a wine store. Uh, but Stacy, the owner, also has a toddler <laughs> and it was just like, it was too much. And she, she saw what was coming down the pike and so she ended up closing. So they're technically still online. There's Duende stock online. There's that. And then Red Planet has uh, been closed for a while over in Albuquerque. I do have a new long-term pop-up uh, boutique that's going to be opening up in the next month or two Wait. in D.C., Nice. But but it won't be like I won't be on the ground with it. It'll be the the owner on the ground with it. And your experience with bookshop has been positive? My big so I am yes. I am so like I, I always thought bookshop was gonna be a good idea simply for the fact that it's it it originally existed just to siphon off customers from Amazon who weren't shopping from us um in their affiliate program, which was really important because there were no other like really competitive affiliate programs besides Amazon and bookshop offers that. And, and I was like, okay, that's it. But I, and I had no idea that uh, the pan, like, I mean, the pandemic was going to happen and that I'd be able to just put my online sales. On. It's like, I don't have any overhead from right. it. I don't have to process any of those orders. I don't like when I, I got a bunch of orders in May uh, and I was just sitting there for like hours processing them through Ingram and barely breaking even. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this, like they put those orders in and you know, I just check and ever occasionally I'll get a customer service question. Um, Are you then, still getting the 30%? Yes. And, and, they, and they voted that uh, I think the board decided that that would be permanent. It's a permanent change. Oh, wow. That's nice. And these, so it'll always be 30%. Wow, I, I, look, 
I know. I know there's a lot of criticism about it and a lot of worries. Uh, but I do know that, you know, I personally know Andy Hunter really cares about this industry and about booksellers. And he just, he wants to give booksellers money, you know, and he wants to be able to have a viable alternative to Amazon. And, you know, ev like the, there's, there's absolutely, there's, it's always going to need to be better. 100%. There's always going to be issues, but he listens and, you know, he's got booksellers on his board and it's just, he he's not yeah, just I mean, like like with anything there should be constructive criticism mm -hmm. but it's also can't be ignored that it's it's totally um it's a resource that i think a lot of stores wouldn't have been able to um not maybe not survive without but they certainly wouldn't have been able to exist through the pandemic in the same way for their customers without it mm -hmm. um and i think certainly that might be the like you're saying more stores are going to be just online only that might be a good permanent option for a lot of people absolutely i you know I've, I've talked my fair share of shit about bookshop <laughs> as many people know but and this is something i don't i think sometimes gets, gets lost is that i'm not i'm decidedly not anti-bookshop um and that i've always been encouraged by what the possibilities of its creative use of its creative use as a tool mm -hmm. um and what i always bristled at was was the savior narrative that, that was constructed around it and that's where i sort of made my turn from it but the creative use of it um i think like what you're doing that's that's fantastic i mean like it, it is just in terms of having no overhead having no inventory um you you really can create a very um, interestingly modeled idea of what a bookstore is. It's basically a bookstore completely embodied by the bookseller because mm -hmm. you're selling these curated lists of books, which is really interesting and it's, and it's cool. Yeah. Um, and there could be so many of those, right? I mean, there, and, and it doesn't have to be uh, wed to a, a particular place or to a particular lease or anything like that. Like the lease. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so there, I think there, there, I, I'm, I just want to be on the record that I'm not against bookshop. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, but uh, I will continue to be pretty forceful about where I'm at, but there's no reason to do so when we're talking in a really highly positive way right now. <laughs> yeah, Brett, I didn't actually think you were anti-bookshop. Okay, I know that you'd had some words to say. I actually am very frustrated by that whole savior narrative that came up because that wasn't something that was actually ever a part of any of the discussions. I mean, Andy, you know, he, he did his whole presentation with the board. Uh, there was no way that he was going to be able to do this without bookseller support. And um, he knew that. But I think it, it you know, ABA spent so long uh, fighting back against the, the whole media narrative about, uh, you know, us dying. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's so hard when they decided to take a narrative and they decided that bookshop, it was the media that decided that the bookshop's uh, narrative would be the savior thing. Andy never, ever talked about that. Like he was like, this is not about saving indie bookstores. Indie bookstores are doing pretty damn well. You know, it, this is about fighting against Amazon. Right. And he probably and, yeah. enough booksellers to know that they would hate that narrative. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's unfortunate that that got put on top. Of it. Very unfortunate, and and it was just sort of like, and I don't know, was it the was it the Times who really they love to do that? They were, just push this kind of like ridiculous narrative. When I started seeing that pop up, Brad, uh, I was just like, oh, come on. I mean, it was, it was like, the most, the especially grating part about it was that they were being published at a time in which booksellers like me and Liz were at the store like close to 12 hours a day, mm-hmm. <laughs> like in the middle of April and do, basically doing the job of the, of the store. And and just completely traumatized and and horribly depressed by what it was we were doing, and then to be told that someone else, a third party, was actually saving us, yep. um, yeah, that did not sit well with me. And I and I don't hold that against Bookshop, but and I do think there are, still are some some criticisms to be to be leveled at, or at least not you know, they're, they're criticisms, but also things to be discussed with Bookshop about uh, some of the economic models, but. Um, Absolutely. But largely. I, and, and, and we should have those conversations. I think, uh, and, and, and I do honestly believe Andy is open to having those conversations. Yeah. And it's important to have those conversations. So let's go back in time a little bit because it's, it's you know, it actually, it, we don't go too far back in time, but um, because it very quickly gets us up to the present. Um, I think I first encountered, I, I didn't meet you at this, at this Winter Institute, but I, I was in the room when it happened. And I believe it was Minneapolis. Was oh, it, yeah. Was it Minneapolis, Minneapolis. When, when you and Hannah read your statement? Everything starts in Minneapolis, right? So, uh, yes, was, <laughs> it was Minneapolis. I, I remember <laughs> I was deeply hungover um, <laughs> in, the, in that room. And like, and I, I honestly don't like the ABA like, forum, whatever it is. I just get really bored and I'm antsy and looking around. And then all of a sudden, I don't see who's talking, but I hear like this prepared statement happening and I'm like oh what's going on and then like all of a sudden you and, and Hannah are reading this incredibly articulate uh indictment um about you know concerning the state of bookselling um and uh the, the, the basically the systemic racism um in play and that has been historically at play and um and call and very specifically calling things to task I, I wanted to hear sort of a I don't know a the narrative history of where that statement came from. Like, were you all up the night before? Was this like something that you'd been crafting for months? So I, Hannah is such a good friend and she's also such an amazing advocate. Um, I had wanted to do this. I had wanted to do that for a while. Um, I'd been to several winter institutes, you know, obviously as a manager with another store. uh, And and then also I had, because of how many bookstores I've worked in across, you know, in New Mexico, New York, and DC, and just like, I, and how long I've been doing, because at that point I've been like 16 years working in bookstores. And, um, and I kind of, I just had like a narrative of what was wrong. And, and I just, I also didn't really understand how ABA worked, which is actually for the best. <laughs> um, and, and so I really wanted to do a prepared statement and, and I was writing it and I got really anxious about it. And so I called Hannah and I was like, Hey, will you do this with me? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Uh, so then, so I had like the body of, 
of the statements um, and then I sent them to her so that she could add and edit and do whatever she wanted to do with them. So, so it was very much a joint effort. Um, the, and, uh, and then the two of us also just have like a lot of time in front of a microphone. So that's also helpful. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's particularly helpful that I'm a slam poet. <laughs> so, like, you know, I, um, so, but, but I think the thing that was really important for me and Hannah agreed is that we didn't want it to be an angry indictment. We really wanted it to be, I mean, we were really hurting after the 2016 election. Um, I mean, obviously we're hurting now about a million times worse, but for, for people of color, I mean, it was such a betrayal of this country, which we should have expected. I don't know why we didn't expect it, but, um, you know, so, but, but it was really important because I thought about the women's March and I was like, you know, there's all these people who want to do genuine good, but this is what it means in our profession, what it means, you know, what it is to do the work and do genuine good. So, but we wanted it to be an invitation to the ABA um, and the board to do better. Um, and, and they, they, you know, they, they took us up and they were able to do what they were able to do at that time. And, and, um, and so that really was the beginning of, of a lot of that. And so, you know, you see Hannah's really doing amazing things with NABA and I know she'll go on to do amazing things with ABA. Um, but, you know, my, my own position on the board is, you know, we, we did something that I didn't ever think that we'd be able to do just now, <laughs> you know, and, and it just took in like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a politician, but oh my God, the level of intense politicking that you, you know, and I had some really great backers, uh, Christine Onorati, who owns Word Bookstores was just really, really, she was huge in helping get the new changes for the board. And, um, and yeah, so it's like, it's so funny to think like that is absolutely where it began. And just me rem just being so kind of freaked out at the, cause the, at that point, like, I don't, I think one of the things the board talks about, but like, uh, there's some cognizance of it is like the ABA board was like this mysterious being to me. Like, do you guys feel like that ever? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we, how to say this, well, I don't know why I'm hedging. We don't really pay a lot of attention. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's really helpful for some people and maybe really helpful at certain times. Um, but uh, it's not, it's not really been out on our radar such that we felt like uh, we had a lot to offer or maybe something to give or maybe something to get, but I don't know. It's, but when I started working at diesel, uh, John Evans was on the board. So like I had a sense of kind of what, you know, the structure of it. So it wasn't totally inscrutable, but also I was, all, I've always been just sort of looking at it as like, I ultimately don't know what they can do for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah, that's legit. <laughs> we could, you know, we could always have these meetings where we're going to put pressure on the publishers to do this, but the concessions from publishers are always pretty minuscule um, or sort of, I don't know, gestural. Um, the things that they can do obviously are like what, you know, you and Hannah called for and, you know, with some success, uh, gained in terms of diversifying and getting 
uh, not just representation, but actual leadership positions, um, which is hugely important. And maybe with that, it might actually become more of an effectual, uh, more of an effectual organization. I don't know. Um, but uh, I don't know. So, so you, you, I used the word indictment. You said you didn't want it to be an indictment. Maybe I'm thinking more in the indictment sense. Your recent piece for LitHub. Oh, that's an indictment. Yeah. <laughs> so let me, let, me, let, me see, let me see if, uh, do, you, do you feel like there has been progress in terms of um, the official ABA positions on these things, but less of, of a progress in terms of the on the ground bookstore situation? I think that a lot of bookstores, the bookstore owners really, um, just they only have experience being performative allies. And I know, baby. Sorry, my child is okay. joining us. Um, um, and they don't know how to go any deeper and they haven't ever really examined it. And the thing is, is that, look, it's it's not just white people, you know, people of color have to do the work all the time too. And you know, anti-blackness is huge, especially like in my culture. Absolutely. You know, every day I am working on being better and figuring out what it actually means to be an ally. But a lot of that has to do with those, the spaces that we occupy, especially those retail spaces. And I mean, <laughs> like for years and years, like the frustration over what I talked about, like this is the both siderism. I mean, that is absolutely part of the reason why Trump won the election. You know, that is absolutely, the, the media is so guilty of the, that narrative. And then bookstores are really guilty of that narrative too, because you're basically saying that you can allow anything on the floor. And I've worked in bookstores, Hannah's like all, oh, so many of my colleagues, we've worked in bookstores where we haven't felt safe and where they have invited people in who have actively encodedly threatened us um you know like i hannah and i had to once listen to pat buchanan call us abomination on the book floor while we were um he basically back pat buchanan said that you know children of mixed mixed children were abominations and i had to stand there as the supervisor of hannah and um another the only other minority employee who was black and he just couldn't and we couldn't do anything and then they invited him back to the store <laughs> like, how are we supposed to feel safe in those situations yeah and what does that serve that situation serves the idea that oh we're being neutral or we're mm -hmm. opening the dialogue or whatever like it serves nothing yeah. they invited well, Patsy Cannon back because he wrote a book on Nixon and I was just like mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's just, and, and, and so for me, it was just like, you don't get to do that. You don't get to put signs in your store windows saying, you know, in this store, we welcome all blah, blah. When you don't protect your own employees, you don't protect your own authors and you don't, you know, the authors that you host, and you certainly don't protect any customers that, you know, you know, who are black and brown. And I'm just tired of the hypocrisy. I'm just, I'm tired. I'm just tired of it. Did you, did, did, did you see this sort of come to a major head at, at this previous Winter Institute? Oh, God, yes. Let me tell you, I have never seen more middle-aged white women 
do more passive aggressive going up to me and other members of the diversity at the, at that, at the DEIC committee and make fake conversations with the people next to like us about how it's ridiculous that anybody would find any fault with American dirt. Oh yeah, all the time. Like I, it happened to me as I was sitting at the DEIC table, and and then I went and I, t- I talked with a couple other uh, of the committee members. And they're like, "Yeah, that's been happening to me too." Jesus. And you know, and I and then like particularly, particularly like one of the committee members who comes from the community that is actively hurt by the sensationalist garbage racism right. of American dirt had to be deal with that. And, and and I think the thing that was the hardest was like. You know, I was there with my baby and my mother, who's a Central American immigrant, um, you know, and every, and I'd have to go back to breastfeed him. I'd be like, I'd do like a panel or whatever, and I'd run back to breastfeed my child and cry because, you know, thank God my mom was there. I don't know. Like, I literally almost quit the board, <laughs> you know, like, and, and I told them this, you know, and they were, um, it, it was like a, a place where I, I had been an active part of helping create, you know, everything that was Winter Institute, you know, as a part of the ABA and the board, and, you know, we're very active in all of those things. And the fact that, like, there were a group of white women, you know, that made it very specific, was their specific mission to be awful, you know, to to make, make, make it very clear that I don't belong you know, or that other, these, you know, other people don't belong. So yeah. Uh, that, that like, I mean, what, what would you do in that situation? And the thing is too, is like those people are not often, they would not think of themselves as being divisive or, um, committing microaggressions or even macroaggressions. They would sort of have this like, very safe idea. They would have voted for Obama a third time. Who oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, they would have. Mm-hmm. Who they are and what they do is very couched and protected by this idea that really means nothing. It's this kind of like, well, we run a certain kind of store and we have these values that aren't really anything at all. But and ultimately, once you shake it all out, it's like, well, what's left? It's basically. basically what's left is white supremacy is these people being like, well, no, our store doesn't stand for anything. And no, we don't have any opinions, but ultimately at the end of the day, it turns out we think that only white people should be in this industry. And we make that very clear in a lot of ways. And we probably are at a point now, I mean, who knows about Winter Institute in the future, but I think we're at a point now where, we can get these people the fuck out of the paint and it shouldn't have to be you, especially with a baby and even just the stress of being on ABA, you know, in those moments that has to do it. It has to be like, I don't know. Well, that's the question. Or, like how coworkers, yeah, you know, like who, who else? Like what, how do we do this? Do we do it primarily by just being a better example or do we do it by calling people out, you know, like we would, you know, bad actors in politics or in our community? Like, how do we, what are some of the steps that that we or I uh, can do beyond, you know, 
I feel like I can, I can certainly continue to always challenge myself to, to be, to, to have a better bookstore that is very mindful of, of, of the conditions in which people are working and what we're, what we're shelving. But in terms of the overall climate of the actual industry, what can we do? That's a really good question, Brad. So you, you guys actually have a lot of power um, just in the same way that uh, I was in a, conversation yesterday where a fellow Latinx did kind of a Black Lives Matter but thing and and you know I I said something and it was like nerve-wracking because I really respect this person um, and I absolutely understand you know they're coming from a place they're on the border and you know they're in the thick of just some really awful things uh, but the fact of the matter is is that it's not it cannot you know, what, what I said was, you know, the fight for black lives is all of our fight. Mm -hmm. Nobody will have, you know, nobody's lives are going to matter unless until black lives matter. And, um, and I didn't say this at the time because she was talking, she was like, we've got our babies. They're like, yes, our babies are in cages, but you know what? So are black babies. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they, like, that's what the prison to the school to prison pipeline is. We have institutionalized imprisonment appeal like there are people black people mostly who are just sitting in jail cells because they can't pay some stupid fine for that they got picked up on you know it's just like and and the fact is is like if we think about somebody one group is getting more attention than the other especially when that group is the most uh you know subjugated group <laughs> in our country's history other than uh, indigenous people, like we can't, we're not going to be able to work together and we're not going to be, but it, so it was like, for me in that moment, I was like, I like, how do I, I have to say something. And, 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 you know, especially cause the person who was black is somebody that I've worked with for a long time and I just admire so much, you know, and, and I think for me, it's hard cause I work a lot on how do I decenter myself from the conversations that I don't actually need to be a center of. And that's really the thing that everybody needs to do. Um, but especially white people, especially white men, you know, it's like, how am I serving? You don't want to decenter yourself completely out of it. That's like what I'm trying to struggle with right now. But like, it's, you know, it's like, it's not about me, but how can I be a good ally to my community who you know isn't like so so brad to your question yes lead by example but also call out when you see other white store owners doing those things absolutely so not, so you're leading by example with your own stores but you're also calling out and because there's a lot of power in that uh and and you know silence is violence that is how so many things happen. That that's how like that's how everything happens is when people just don't say anything. And yeah. Oh, so. good. Oh, finish. Go ahead. Oh yeah. No, that, that, I mean that's basically it. Like so, it, it's both those things. It, it it really is. Yeah, like you wrote in the in the um, LitHub piece about the tattered cover, you know, whole situation that they created for themselves that um, <laughs> what a fuck up. was a huge fuck up <laughs> on every level. I mean, a fuck up implies that it was a mistake. And That's true. Very no, yeah. That's true. No. They, they deliberately did what they did. Good yeah, point. Good yeah. point. They, 
some bad choices. Um, but if we had as an industry been in a place where white bookstore owners and workers were like, oh yeah, I don't love that, but you do you, then that statement probably would have just been allowed to ride. And, and the implications of that, be they large or small, uh, matter. And so the fact that we were able to be at least united about something so blatantly bad is like, okay, going forward, we have to do that. Yes, on a level of like, we're addressing it on the internet and that kind of thing, letting people know, but on an interpersonal level too. You know, mm -hmm. seeing, see if, if you see that bookstore owner that said some dumb thing online or whatever and say, hey, you know, I really want to talk to you about that. Like, let's discuss that and see where that conversation goes. Maybe they're not up for it. You know, maybe they don't want to talk to you, but at least try to make them feel like you, another white person in the industry, sees that and it's not chill. I'll trick them onto the good. podcast. <laughs> I think he's like, like, Sasha no. Don't do a yeah. gotcha. Don't do a gotcha, Brad. No, <laughs> no that, that, that is absolutely, I think the interpersonal thing is huge. Uh, uh, you know, that, that like, it's, it's good that we came out and publicly shame tattered cover for doing that because they deserve to be published, publicly shamed for that. But, you know, I, I do know that there were people, uh, uh, you know, another store owner that I know that knew them that was trying really hard to get them to do the right thing, but they just weren't going to see or understand at that time. And, but it was, it was very meaningful to the me. The time for the right thing had already passed. They it, had, <laughs> it had passed and they were trying to sort of help guide them to a place that was better. Like, well, what do you, how do you deal with the fallout? Um, and here's, and here's the other thing that I would like to say, look, we all screw up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and oftentimes when those, those, you know, when we mess up and it involves a black or brown person, the black or brown person's getting hurt. Yes. But what's really important, the most important thing is just that you be willing after you screw up, acknowledge that person's hurt and what you did. Get out of your own way because the first thing we all do is be defensive about it. You know, and whether, whether you think it's not your fault in any way, you know, you know, there, there's still always going to be something that you should have known to do that you just didn't think about. And you just got to get to the place where you own up to that. And you, and if you can get there and you can, you know, let, let yourself be out there and be like, all right, I'm here. I messed up. I'm going to do better. This is how I'm going to do better. You know, that, that is so important. Yeah. Cause the harm suffered by someone like me, if I were to fuck up and, and, you know, to hurt someone, um, you know, a person of a color, uh, the harm done to me is, it's a PR thing. Like it's not, it's not real harm in the same way that I've caused harm to someone uh, in a situation like that more often than not. Like for me, it's like, oh, I've been canceled, which we all know is basically just put in time out, you know, time moves along. So absolutely. I, I, you're completely right that like, their hurt is is the is the priority, um, and uh, and the PR the PR situation is just something you've created. That's just something you're you're gonna have to endure. Which the That's business baby for me, like <laughs> the apology is 
I, I believe Liz and I were talking about this at the time that the tattered cover thing is like the apology is like the, it's like it's the bare minimum. That's like that's like the actual stopping of the movement in which you were going. <laughs> it's actually it's, it's literally nothing. But it is the it's the literal nothing that has to happen before something does happen because you were in the fucking negative category at that point. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I, I'm, that's all by way of me saying, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, it, it's easy to say, right? But in practice, it's really hard because yeah. it does take a lot of courage and it does take a lot of humility. Um, and I really, you know, I personally admire anybody who's able to get there, even if they're not, even if they struggle to get there, you know. And what I said to you know a friend you know who who was helping through something i said look i am always here to help people who genuinely want to do the work you know like like i am always here for that because that is the hardest thing like i learn something new every day and there are some things where i'm like i know that this is right but for my own mental health i need to like check out uh, of this particular part of whatever you know so it, it's like, you got to have, what are your boundaries? How do you learn? You know, how are you, as we say, decolonizing your mind, but how are you being a real good ally? Um, but also like, what do you need to do to protect yourself to make sure that you can keep going on to do this work? Yeah. It's really, it's a, it's an intricate balance. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, we like to wind our conversation's down with a fairly simple question. Um, and that question is, Angela, what are you loving these days? <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be a book. Many people, it is a book because that's what they do with their, their lives and their livelihoods. Other times for Liz, it's normally a TV show. Um, <laughs> for me, it's normally wrestling with my dog or something. But what are you loving these days? What am I loving? That's such a good question. Um, I'm loving watching people do the Sealy challenge. Uh, I, I try to do it as much as I can. It was also a good excuse for me to buy a whole bunch of poetry books, which I think are finally coming. Um, and so I'm not able to do it every day, obviously, but I'm really enjoying people's recommendations and just sort of like their own journey with that. Uh, explain, I, explain to people what the Sealy challenge is. Just so Nicole Sealy, who is just an amazing human being, but also tremendous poet, uh, and used to be the um, director of Kaveh Kanem. Uh, she, I think maybe two years ago, two or three years ago, had came up with the Sealy Challenge, which was every August, you read one book of poetry every day. So that's, what is August, 31, 30 days? <laughs> like, um, I literally don't even remember. <laughs> is, it, is it 31? It's 31. It's yeah, so you read, you would be reading 31 books and, uh, and it really blew up. I didn't even realize I, I became aware of it last August, but I, you know, I had basically at that point I had like a five month old and so I couldn't really do anything. But, uh, apparently like, like the, if you, I think Lit Hub did a piece on, uh, Nicole wrote a piece, I think. Um, and, but yeah, so it's really just like, do what you could do you know, but also it's, it is something to look forward to. For me, it was like, I was an excuse to buy some really gorgeous poetry chapbooks that I'd been meaning to get for a really long time. And also just like, even if I'm just reading one poem a day, um, you know, like however far you can get. And so, and, the, and then just going on to like Twitter 
and, and Instagram and, and seeing what other people are reading and in that discovery. Cause like what, what's the most beautiful thing about books is the discovery and that's what we do best. Right. Absolutely. Well, that's cool. And sharing poetry with other people is the best. Yeah. All right, Angela. Well, we've kept you a long time. Thank you so much for t taking time out of your day and away from your baby. Um, <laughs> and uh, nothing but the best of luck to you as we continue to ne negotiate our way throughout all this. And uh, I'm sure we will keep talking on down the way. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for hosting me. And I wish you the best. Please stay safe and may money rain down upon you. <laughs> Money and peace, yes. All right, take it easy, Angela. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. There's a lot, there's a lot to think about there. Um, we have a lot to think about, I think, obviously, as an industry with regards to accountability. Um, and I think there's, there's a couple, I mean, the in-person stuff is very different now with COVID, but... Um, you know, regarding situations like Angela was describing at Winter Institute, I mean, how fucked up was that? I it's it's so fucked up, and and I think that everybody has um, spoken with that kind of person and has probably sort of just been like, all right, I just want this conversation to be over. But um, I don't know. I think. If you have a couple of good talking points, definitely let that person know. Like, I'm your colleague in this industry. I disagree with you. Um, it's inappropriate for you to behave this way if they are behaving in such a way that is clearly passive aggressive and microaggressive and aggressive aggressive. Then I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of niceness in this industry. And it's basically just a facade <laughs> for bad behavior. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, most of the time is like when it's, when, when any sort of niceness is mm -hmm. coming from the South, Mid-South area, you know, I, that sort of veneer of niceness is kind of what colored over <laughs> lots, of, yeah, lots not, of bad behavior. It's not deep, yeah. like there's no deepness there. Um, I don't know, I, so there's like a lot of interpersonal conversations that need to be had with people who are just in your shared industry. But what's complicated is the dynamic between someone who is not even necessarily management and their employer. I mean, that's a really hard conversation for people to say, you know, this is like a book that is like, I don't want to sell this book. And it's not a I don't like this author. It's like a serious, real thing. And I, um, you know, if people felt supported, they would bring it up, you know, as the thing. So it's like if your staff isn't bringing anything up, um, I, yeah, I would check in with people. I don't know how much autonomy people give to their staff about buying. I'm all about the shared power. Well, I mean, to the first part, you know, about in going back to what I had asked. Angela about, you know, the holding to holding other stores accountable. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll talk about the interest store stuff here in a second, because I, I think we can maybe kick the tires on that a little bit just to see how it would work in, in a variety of contexts. But mm -hmm. so for example, I sent a couple of my friends, maybe even sent you, uh, uh, like the 
the link to tattered covers um, statement to explain why they weren't taking sides uh, on, 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 on racism. Um, Explain why they were taking a side while they took a side. And I remember just saying, this is really fucked up. And, um, and then it just, you know, it was like on a Sunday, I think it was. And so, you know, life just kind of moved along. And, and then like, of course it blew up on social media and everyone was like, they were immediately and rightly taking them to task. Mm -hmm. And then like, I, I started getting pressure from some of my friends that I texted well, why haven't you said something about taking them to task? Why? Because you know, your 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 voice, Brad, has power. You should you know you should, uh, you should do this publicly. And I was, you know, I confess, I was hesitant to not because I at all agreed with them, only because it was it was the public nature of the of sort of the the piling on. Because mm -hmm. like, I felt like eh, I think they're getting it already. <laughs> I you know I. Yeah, I think in a lot of situations, it's like, I, I think maybe, um, like, I see the opinion of, you know, add your voice, but also it's like, at a certain point, online, specifically in the social media setting, it, there should be some humbleness at a point where you're like, they don't actually need any, they don't need my opinion on this. Right. And it is tricky if you want to be, um, if you're, if you're talking about an industry, but it was like, I think. In certain ways, it's pretty evident. It's like, well, I think they've got the message. Right. But... Um, I guess what I mean is like, tricky, like, you know, holding someone accountable, it doesn't, it's not always a public thing, right? I mean, right, sure. I mean, you can hold them accountable in different ways. So what I had initially had told my, my friends was like, well, I feel like I will just be an obvious counterexample to how you do this. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, I did say something, just saying, oh, this is like a really bad statement or something like yeah. that. And then uh, everyone else sort out, you know, just how bad it was. Um, but uh, I'm very intrigued by like the specific ways that uh, we can, can take people, can hold people to task. So that takes us to the most tangible aspect of that within your own store because yes. <laughs> that's really the most important thing that's what yes. we're, we're actually living in within the industry definitely like clean your own yeah house clean your own house before you start yeah. <laughs> before you start going after the uh the larger institutions and it is it is probably an issue i mean honestly i've not you've worked in more bookstores than i so you have a greater sense of of I don't know the you know how how appropriate it is uh, to 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 question these things and what the repercussions are, and I certainly have heard stories so, <laughs> of, of yeah. things not going of yeah. going sideways when you've attempted to do this. I don't know that there was ever a book while I was at Books Inc. that specifically um, made me feel uh, that I needed to address the book the title like I think there was like a lot of stuff that I was like oh, that's crap but the, the neighborhood that that store was in was extremely wealthy and conservative so ultimately that was a lot of what um, sold but what would happen is sort of the vague kind of um, really kind of just soft kicking out your legs from under you by being like no actually someone else takes care of that and it's really not your job. Right. And it's really not something that you are 
are meant to have any input in here. And whether or not that's true, quote unquote, like, okay, yeah, technically I'm not the buyer at this store, you know, that I was at, but don't you want your employees to feel like, don't you, aren't you interested in what their thoughts are about the books they're selling? Well, if you're just trying to stock every title and sell to whoever, no, you're probably not interested. Right. Um, and that's the pernicious thing because exactly. you're, you're still not stocking everything. You're no. still, you're still making the decisions, but you, you decided to make the decision about, you know, probably a, 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 a decided minority of your books, but mm -hmm. still they stick out. They, you know, and they, and they are those, that minority is going to be the thing that, that your, your, uh, some of your, your staff will feel, you know, beleaguered by and, or, or uh, accosted by, or even violated by, uh, you know, like the, one of the more recent uh, examples would, would have been the Jordan Peterson book. Was sure. Shocking. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was legitimately shocking to see in the holiday catalog. I know that there, that's an older, I mean, that's like old news, but I was really like, Oh wow. No, 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 no. Right. Um, and nobody at our store would have, I would hope. I would assume that nobody at our store would hesitate to be like, fuck this guy, right. this dude's bad, but it's kind of a moot point for us because we never carried that book anyway. Right. Because we, from the jump, we're like, no, we don't mess with that. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, and then, you know, you have the ancillary issue, not even ancillary, but you have the other issue of how to approach it when th that book is requested. Sure. Not yeah. just like by a troll, but by someone who like a legitimate person. a legitimate person, and uh, you know how how do you approach that? And you know, on one level, you say, okay, I understand. I'm, I will order it for them because a special order does not, in fact, uh, put me on the hook as endorsing it. Yeah. But you are in terms of like what your staff is dealing with. So you know, if you have a uh, you know a, a trans. Uh, person needing to ring up this Jordan Peterson book that is that is like aggressively you know in opposition to everything that they are about as a person yeah. uh, you're you know, that that's it's not quite as cut and dry on a commerce level it makes total sense but on a personal level it doesn't at all and and ultimately what are we looking at we're looking at at the end of the day when it all breaks down what's the profit I mean so it's like a lot of times you see stores that are sticking their necks all the way out for these books. And I'm like, I, what are you, what is the profit here? There, this seems like an ideological thing that you're doing as opposed to, well, we just have to have a stack of 20 of these books. Like you, you don't, you really don't. Um, I can't think of, Oh, uh, you know, what is a good example? Actually, all those like faux history books that Bill O'Reilly writes, um, yeah, like the Lincoln and right, right, JFK yeah. and yeah, I killed Lincoln by Bill O'Reilly. Right. And it's just like, ultimately, yeah, that's going to interest some customers in the Booksync neighborhood that I was in, but it's the buyer's choice. They made a specific choice to order 50 and stack them at the front of the store. Like that's a choice. Um, including him as a choice like it's all there's all this choosing i think it has to do i this is probably an extrapolation that's beyond but it's i it's like people who think that like a white perspective like the whiteness is neutral they're like well i'm neutral it's like you're clear you're making choices you're, you're not every book you bring in is a choice 
Yeah, this, I mean, it's not, a, it's, it doesn't have to be an indictment of you as a person. It doesn't have to be personally reflective, but it's still a choice. Yeah. <laughs> like you bought it. I mean, as you, as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking more about in sort of concrete terms about this, this pop-up possibility within a store such that even if the store itself is not structured like a collectively owned entity, um, structuring it in such a way that within it, the booksellers themselves create little zones, little autonomous mm-hmm. little zones. Yeah. And often there's, there's there would be crossover or whatever, you know, certain books, you know, would appeal to three different booksellers or whatever. And it requires obviously a, a significant buy-in by the booksellers because it, it's, it's, it is a bit of work mm-hmm. uh, to maintain your little shops within the shop. But it does also create those zones for you to craft what the actual physical store is as well. Because if all yeah. of a sudden your shit is selling so much more than what, <laughs> than what like we have already bought for the oh, store, it, even the most craven capitalist you know, corporate bookseller would say, huh, well, maybe I should maybe, start, maybe I should start yeah. steering toward that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know. That's just one idea uh, in terms of, of the diversifying of the decentralization of, of what maybe will help us. I don't, uh, us, again, just being us, I, 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 I'm always very wary in this, on this podcast of, of like I'm pontificating and giving ideas. I'm just talking off the top of my head. So, I <laughs> no, don't know. I mean, it's, God, I, I would never want to position myself as someone who's like, I've got advice for people. Do you guys want my advice? Like, no, it's fine. Nobody needs that. But I think that there's a lot to be learned about just, yeah, just like talking and, and just seeing what ideas stick. That's the collaborative part of this business that works because there's so many different kinds of stores and everybody's doing a different thing. I think increasingly we're seeing what doesn't work. Like it's shaking out that there's like a way of selling books, a way of employing and leading people, a way of buying uh, that's just not working. And we, you know, and, and it behooves us to look to not just alternative spaces, but also to people like Angela. Mm-hmm. to uh, uh, people like Hannah mm-hmm. who have had to hustle and have had to scrape yeah. um, and have had to think creatively about what their space is going to be and going to do. Um, and the lessons we can learn from that, I think are hugely invaluable um, just in terms of how we restructure ourselves in, in not just a pr- uh, profitable way, but just in, a, in an equitable way. And, in, and, and really just, if it doesn't break your heart to think of the loss that industry has and would have had if, say, Angela and Hannah had decided not to continue with bookselling because they weren't supported in their environments, or if they had decided, you know, I'm over this store and I'm over the whole thing, just like we wouldn't have loyalty books, right. or we wouldn't have to run any district books. We, there are so many stores and spaces that we don't have. Right. Or let me because of that. To toss it back once again to Wolfman. Yeah. Give the story about we we've been yeah. doing the ongoing saga of Wolf, well, Wolfman. What what's happened in the interim? So Wolfman was the iteration previously of this store. It was a bookstore space. It was also turning into a community space that uh, really umbrellaed a lot of different arts and creative pursuits. 
Um, Go back and, to episode three if you're curious what we're talking about. And you can catch all the way up. But now, organically and from within, there has emerged a new space. And so Wolfman is no more. Like, Wolfman's dead. Long live Wolfman. <laughs> the and, violent uh, end, but uh, you know, it had to happen. It had to happen. And now, from that space, we have something entirely new, which is Moments. And it's a collective of queer, indigenous people, um, people of color who are artists and creatives and who want to connect artists and creatives and have a home and a space in Oakland. Um, in this special little spot that that they've been in uh, all these years that the store has been running. And so the possibilities are really exciting. And just like when creative people get together and, and, and organize in their communities, that's always exciting. So if we can foster spaces that are open enough and they're always gonna be imperfect because of the nature of us being human but if we can foster spaces that are collaborative and open and if people who are managers or bosses or owners can be humble enough to listen to ideas from people who are you know not owners or managers or bosses then some really cool stuff can happen it might happen on the ashes of your old space but that's good right if that's that's the way that's the way don't just be rebooted. Reboot the goddamn thing yourself. Oh, there, you go. there you go. If you need an aphorism for the day. Um. <laughs> it just, it's no good to keep a space static. It's no good to keep a space closed off to build a ceiling on it. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you say, this is the story, this is all it is, this is all it will well, be, this it's is easy. all it was. It's, that's, it's, that's, it's the easiest thing in the world. To, to just keep doing what it is you're doing until the, non, the not easy thing happens and it doesn't work anymore. Until someone kicks your institution's <laughs> reputation out from under you. Right. Or until you, you know, lose some really hardworking employees who are fed the fuck up. Or you decide to issue a, uh, a public statement that nobody asked for. <laughs> Wow, you know, that is a lesson. That is a lesson. Is a lesson. If you're going to be a, a completely inert institution, do so quietly. Is, do not issue statements. This is utter speculation. Just complete and utter speculation. But I sort of thought when the tattered cover stuff was going on that, like, either A, um, some lovely employee was like, we need to speak on this. Like, this is an issue and we can't stay silent. And then they're like, oh, God, not like that. Or <laughs> otherwise, they were vehemently sort of like, this is the position that our store should be taking. Right. And then the people were like, actually, this is a better, more intellectual position or whatever. Again, total speculation. But the humbleness is needed <laughs> if your employee yeah. telling you, is telling you things. They may not always be right. I certainly wasn't always right when I was like, why are we carrying this? Because I didn't know the buying numbers, but my opinion was still valid. And, you know, I, I don't have to control everything, but like, I, I don't know. Is that so, but it's just some people, they set their business up and they're like, we don't want to hear from you. That's why we cut your hours to pay you shit. Like, right. We don't want you to feel like you're a valued part of this. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's, that's the top down mentality that, 
is I certainly don't understand. And that is like it's like it's it's been dead for so long and it just keeps getting revived. It's like every decade that model should have should have just fully bit the dust. And and especially in the small scale world of independent retail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I could see it like if you were like a like a, a high-end boutique or someone just you know poured in you know half a million of their own dollars to do this but you know it's not normally the case with these things they're often i don't know just sort of put together with spit and gum uh (laughs) and there's not any sort of generational wealth starting a lot of these things but but you can always tell when there is a lot of times i think there's like a lot of ways that you can tell um uh yeah yeah there there are a couple of unspoken examples in my brain right now um <laughs> but uh, we're not here to talk shit no no we we do that as soon as we hit in uh, recording but um anyway definitely feel free we invite you in fact don't even feel free we invite you to send us emails uh the face.podcast at gmail.com uh like i said let us know how you all are planning on uh, being booksellers, um, you know, uh, at a distance, but also what you, what's been your experience mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, in sort of uh, holding the powers that be at your store accountable for the shitty decisions. That <laughs> I know a lot made. of anecdotal information about it not going well. I know a little bit about it going okay. Um, Give us like an example where it yeah. went well. Yeah, you know, it's not, it's not that it's always the same story over and over, but, um, you know, it's, there's always little subversive things. I think there's a lot of employees out there who are like, actually, no, I'm not going to return this book. I don't care that it's being, you know, flagged for returns. There was a book like that at Books Inc. And I'm sure it was returned as soon as I stopped working there. But it was like, you know what, if we can have just one freaking book in the kids section like this, like we... This, I'm not going to give it up. Um, but if I had, say, advocated for there to be more of that type of book, I probably would have been met with a lot of facts and figures about why that wasn't worth it. So I don't know. It's a mixed bag. All right. Well, hold your people accountable. Hold yourself accountable. Listen to the people who need to be listened to, not to the people who say they should be. So, um, but, uh, Oh, we forgot. Oh, what did we forget? Oh shit. That's right. Uh, what are you loving this week? <laughs> My immediate instinct was to say the updates on Cal Fire. Just like, that's not, that's not love. <laughs> that's information I'm receiving. Um, okay. I, yeah, I, I'm definitely, um, I've like transcended to a level of, of owning plants where I'm now like every morning, like waking up and dusting off their leaves and like saying, good morning, plant, time to grow. Is, is plant its name? They're all named They're all named. Plant. They're all named. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, if you can tend something and just slowly sort of see it flourish um, and have a little bit of ritual around it, that is, that's a really nice thing anytime but especially when it feels like you have no control over anything anywhere. Yeah. Um, 
a little nerve wracking because now I'm very emotionally attached. So if they die, it's like a whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> it's like a whole thing. Um, I have been, well, I had it last night is when I, I discovered this. I started watching, this is going to be maybe a little surprising to some people, but I started watching the Selena Gomez cooking show on HBO Max. And I don't know, I, I mean, I had heard the name Selena Gomez. I've never heard a song, or maybe I have, and I just didn't realize. I have no idea what she sings. Never seen her in acting. I know that she is an actress. I have no idea. But I was so fucking smitten by how adorable the show was. Like the whole premise is she's like cooking, like some chefs are showing her how to cook things. And it's not like she's a bad, it's not like she's totally. No, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, she, she knows yeah, a little bit. She's, she's, like, a nor she's yeah. like a normal person, yeah. but, you know, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, but you know, they're making like pretty hardcore stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but it's just really, really cute. Like, just like, just like the whole idea, whole premise is, is, is fun. And uh, I don't know, like I was not expecting to watch two hours of this, of this show. I mean, it was like 30 minute episodes. It's like, well, I guess I'm going to watch another one. Yeah. So I don't, oddly, I've been loving that. And, uh, and then also like we're, I'm in the teeth of this, of this jury business with the, with the, uh, the book award and I can't talk about the books, but like, it's been, we're, we're like, we've whittled it down and now we're rereading and reading some stuff that, you know, we didn't quite read very well the first time. It is wonderful because you have like everything you read is good. Like it's not the greatest, and some things are better than others. But it's like you've just the comparisons been, the point exactly. So, you've yeah, just been presented nice. here are twenty five books that we have self vetted. <laughs> They're going to be quality reads, and it's been such a joy. And I've, I've, you know, I'm reading like basically before I come into work, and then I go to bed having yeah. read except for the two hours when I'm watching Selena Gomez. Um, but I read a book. Maybe I'll read a book again someday. <laughs> um, that would be good. That would be uh, good. We'll see. Maybe <laughs> we've already established we don't actually have to have read any of the stuff that we recommend. We just have to like the idea of it because um, we are fucking great booksellers. <laughs> you know, I think I can say it with confidence. I do feel I'm a great bookseller. I forget if I. That's true sometimes. <laughs> it's been a while, but I think it's true. I think it's true. All right, fellow booksellers, thank you. We'll uh, we'll be in touch Take care. with another yeah. episode soon. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. I wish I was a mole in the ground. Yes, I wish I was a mole in the ground. As a mole in the ground, I'd root that mountain down, and I wish I was a mole in the ground.